Thank you, Miss Priscilla, for blessing us with that song this morning. Well, we've had a good time this morning. We've already grown our church. We've worshiped the Lord. We have uh, celebrated together, and uh, right now we're going to get into the Word. So today, I'm going to be speaking to you about a certain topic, but before we do, I want to ask you a question, all right? I want everybody to get your thinking caps on, think in your head. I want you to describe yourself in three words, not physical traits. Don't tell me tall or good looking or anything like that. Describe your personality. What are those essential characteristic traits that make you you? How do you show up in the world? How do other people describe you? All right, now I'm going to just open it up. Somebody shout out an answer. How would you say or how would you describe your personality? Anybody in the room? A servant, all right? Yes. A strong Christian girl, all right, firm in your faith. Got one more? Yes, ma'am. Caring, all right. Okay, Uh, anybody else want to go? We could just pat each other on the back all day, right? Okay, well, one of the things that we typically don't describe ourselves as, and this is because we know what is going on behind the scenes, is we don't usually describe ourselves as very patient. That is something that we all want to be, and we might show up as patient from time to time, but those of us who we're realistic with each other, with ourselves and we know the kind of turmoil that goes on behind the scenes, we wouldn't necessarily always describe ourselves as being patient. And yet, we can all probably think of somebody in our lives that we would say, well, no, that, that was a very patient person. They endured a lot. They, they put up with a lot or, or they were very kind and caring and, and they wouldn't, uh, you know, that they were gracious and so they were patient in, in various circumstances. Patience is a very important characteristic in the Christian life. In fact, it's described as one of the the gifts of the or the fruits of the Spirit in in the list in Galatians chapter five. And that you know, some of us memorize that as children. You know, what what does a Christian look like? They have these fruits in their lives: love, joy, peace, patience is in that list. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness. And yet, sometimes when we look at a list like that, it is discouraging to us because we read that and we say. You know, I really struggle with some of those things. I really struggle with being gracious. I really struggle with being patient. I really struggle with being kind. Because it's, it's going against our default programming. But God's not trying to hold us up to some unrealistic expectation that we'll never be able to fulfill. Instead, He wants us to learn to develop these things. We've got several gardeners in this church, and all of them uh, could tell you that when you put the seeds in the ground, you don't go get to harvest tomorrow. You, there's a time of waiting. There's a time of preparation. And it's the same way. Just because you've decided to follow Christ doesn't mean that you're going to have that entire list of fruits of the Spirit evident in your life from day one. No, we have to learn how to do that. It's a process. We train ourselves. We discipline ourselves and prepare to, to live like Jesus does. Now, when it comes to that list of fruits that are supposed to be evident in our lives, patience is probably one of the most difficult ones to develop. And the reason why that that is is because there's a, a sin that is at the root of our impatience, and that sin is selfishness. Selfishness is hardwired into us uh, as, as an infant. We're born selfish little machines. Think about it. When a baby is, is hungry, what do they do? They cry. 
And they don't care what mom or dad's doing. They're, all they know is they're hungry or they're cold. What do they do? They cry. They're tired. They cry. And some of you are thinking, hey, I, I'm grown up and I still do that. I cry all the time. <laughs> but the point is, is that when we're little, we're selfish and we don't think about what anybody else is going through, what anybody else's needs are. We only focused on, I don't like this, and so I'm going to make everybody around me miserable. As we get older, we learn to moderate that. We learn to, to take that selfishness because we realize that if we go around and we go through our life only caring about ourselves and only being selfish, we're going to be some insufferable people and no one's going to want to be around us. So we learn how to hide it a little bit. We hide our selfishness and we say, well, I'll, I'll go to the back of the line. I'll, I'll let somebody else go first. And we, we try to put on a good face so that we can be socialized. But the truth is, is that that core selfishness, that core self-interest that's in us, it never fully goes away. Impatience, then, is the angry, frustrated, selfish response when other people prevent us from indulging in our desires in the time and in the manner that we choose. Think about it. You can all think of many situations in your life where you have not been the most patient. Maybe for you, your trigger is traffic. You can't stand traffic. And you get in it, and you just want to scream to the heavens because you're stuck in traffic once again. Some of us, it's putting up with red tape. You know, you go, you deal with a government office, and you just, you're jumping through hoops, not for any particularly good reason, but because that's just what they expect you to do. They want you to file, fill out this form and do it again. And uh, I, I remember when, uh, when I first moved to Louisville, I was looking for jobs. I was just applying anywhere I could. And I went through and I, I very carefully put together my resume. I made sure I listed out my education, all the skills I had, my work experience. I listed my references. And I would walk into a place and I would hand them my re resume. And they'd take one look at it. They'd say, that's great. Here's an application. Fill out this form. And I'd look at the form, and it had all the information that I had just put on my resume. And I thought, well, then why did I go to all this trouble of getting this resume and printing it up on nice paper? I go and hand it to you, and you just don't care. You just want me to jump through the hoops that you want me to jump through. That made me very impatient. Some of us, we don't like going to the grocery store, and you get in the line behind somebody, and they just want to talk and spend time uh, uh, socializing with the cashier instead of just get in get your goodies and get gone right and that could be very frustrating sometimes but patience is something that we can develop in us we don't have to stay that way we don't have to stay in that constant state of of anger frustration impatience that's just kind of simmering at a low boil within us I don't know about you but that's not the kind of life I want to live the good news is we don't have to stay stuck in that default programming Paul talks about how in Christ that default programming can be overwritten and the old sinful nature that is within us is removed and we can put on a new man or woman and we put on a new person in Christ. And the main point that we're going to talk about today is that patience is not something that is passive. Patience is not passive, it is powerful. And so today we're going to be turning to Colossians chapter 3. So while you get your Bibles out and turn there, um, I'm going to get, set the stage a little bit here. Paul writes this letter, and he's writing to the Colossians, and he's talking about what does it look like to be in Christ? What does it look like to be a new man? What is the old man? What is the new man? What are the differences between? It's like those old assignments that we got at school. Compare and contrast. 
right? And so that's what we want to do. We want to compare and contrast what it looks like when we're walking and living as the old man or when we're living as the new man in Christ. So uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 7, and I believe we've got that for for the screens as well if you want to follow along that way. Paul writes this starting in uh, verse 7. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world. But now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all of its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your Creator and become like Him. In this new life... It doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters, and He lives in all of us. Since God chose you to be the holy people He loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults, And forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. So, now that we've looked at the text, I want to go and and offer a few observations. Uh, But notice there, verse 12, where it talks about what are we supposed to have? How do we clothe ourselves? We clothe ourselves in tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. All right, so Paul, when he's writing to the Colossians, first of all, I want to point out he's writing to Christians. He's not writing to the unsaved. He's writing to people who have already said, I believe in Jesus. I'm a Christian. I'm going to live and be his disciple. I'm going to choose to follow God. So he's not writing to people outside the church. He's writing to people inside the church. So therefore, when he talks about sin, he talks about it in the past tense. All right, and... and, uh, that, that doesn't mean that as a Christian, sin never in, enters into your life. It will occasionally pop up from time to time. But that's not going to be the major characteristic of our lives. Uh, it is possible, though tragic, that these sins could occasionally pop up in a Christian's life. But they must not be our normal, everyday walk. That, that's not how we navigate in the world anymore. No longer are we going around angry, upset, selfish, impatient. All of those things that he described, those sinful things, they no longer have a place in our life. Doesn't mean that you won't make some mistakes. But we're in a process of getting better. We're in a process of improving. Nobody takes up a new skill or a new trade and expects to be a master after one or two days. It's a process. It's a learning process. Many of our trades still do an apprenticing process. If you want to learn how to become an electrician or an HVAC installer or anything like that, they don't go and just say, all right, go install this in this house and you're good. No, you work alongside somebody. You learn the skills. You, you gain the, the, the wisdom. You teach your body how, you know, uh, how to do certain things. It's amazing how people who've been doing things for years and years, they can do it, and it just looks so easy. For me, one of those is, is cooking. I'm not a very good cook, 
And so what I do is a lot of times I'll go and I'll look on YouTube and, and they'll have uh, uh, these recipes and they'll, they'll walk you through how to prepare these wonderful things. I have to be careful watching those, especially late at night because it'll be midnight. And I know that I don't need to eat anything else, but I see all the, you know, the, 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 the burgers and the, and the pork ribs and the, the, the chicken and the turkey. And they put it all together and it looks so good and it looks so easy. And I start thinking, well, what do I have in my pantry that I can go get? But here's the thing. They make it look so easy. Why does it look so easy, though? Because they've been doing it for years. These guys are whizzes with those, with those uh, butcher knives and, and kitchen knives. They're just chopping things up and, and flying through it. Here's the hardest part of cooking for me is, is uh, getting all the different parts ready at the same time. That, that is so hard for me. That's why I like to do these one skillet meals because if I have to get the meat or the protein ready and have it timed up with the vegetables, with the grain and all that, it's hard. I, I, never, I, I hardly ever pull it off without messing that up. Give me a one skillet meal. That way I can just do it all at once. But listen, how does that happen? It's a process. They've trained and they've learned how to do those things. So when Paul is talking about how sin no longer has a part in our life, he's not saying, hey, you should just have it all put together. He understands that it's a process. We have to work to get ourselves there. So um, it is a new way of navigating the world. The second thing I want to point out about this passage is that he talks about it in terms, in fact, the Greek language that he uses uh, refers to taking off one set of clothes and putting on another. It even says, you must clothe yourselves in this way. So, you know, sometimes we think it's hard to be this certain kind of person, Um, but it can be as easy as taking off a jacket and putting on a new one. See, we get to choose our wardrobe. For some of us, for most of the men in here, we don't care what we wear, right? As long as it covers my body, I'm not going to get arrested, and I don't look like a complete doofus, I don't care. I don't care if it's a blue shirt or a red shirt. I don't care what my shoes look like. Not all of us. There are some of us. We, we like it. We, you know, we like looking put together. We like looking sharp. But for most men, we're pretty utilitarian. But women, women really like to have the choices. I don't want to wear the same thing. I don't want to wear something that looks like somebody else. I want to make myself look beautiful. I want to adorn myself in certain ways. And that's the thing. We get to choose to do that. Sometimes when we get dressed, you just know, I don't have a lick of fashion sense in my body. We get up, we get dressed, we think, okay, this is going to look good on me. And we look in the mirror and we're like, oh my goodness, what did I do? Right? When I was in high school, I had a friend and, and uh, he showed up to school one day and he was just wearing the most odd outfit. He was wearing uh, orange pants and like a purple striped shirt and yellow shoes. It was just terrible. And I started making fun of him. His name was Mickey. I said, Mickey, what are you wearing today? And he uh, informed me that, and I didn't know this, but that he was very, very colorblind and that all his life his mom laid out his outfits. Mom was out of town, so he's like, I just grabbed something. <laughs> so the thing is, sometimes we have uh, poor fashion sense. Sometimes when we're trying to change our look, anybody here ever tried to change your look up from time to time? You know, maybe, maybe when we were younger, we were the punk rock kid, and we had our hair spiked up, and we wore the leather jackets, and our, our wallet was on a chain, and it wasn't so we didn't lose it, but it was because we wanted to look cool. And then all of a sudden, we decide we want to change how we look. And when we start dressing a little different, maybe we dress up a little more because we started a new job, or maybe we're, we're doing something differently, and we wear those new clothes for the first time. It doesn't feel right. It feels unnatural. It doesn't feel like me. I'm not being me. 
But what happens is when you continue to dress like that and you continue to pre present yourself and put yourself out like that to the world, you begin to take on that identity. And whereas it felt weird before, all of a sudden it's not so bad. I know there's some of you in here that, men, it's like if you have to wear long pants, you're just going crazy. You know, give me shorts all day, any day. Some of us, we like to wear tennis shoes or jeans or that we've got those those things that we fall back on because that's just what we're comfortable wearing but here's the thing clothing has a purpose we wear it and and we match the clothing to the situation you don't wear a tuxedo to the beach and you you wouldn't wear a wetsuit to work or at least i hope you won't unless maybe you're a scuba diver i don't think we have many of those here in louisville but you know it, it's possible but you wear the clothes that matches the situation that you're going to be in. And here's the thing. As we become followers of Christ, we have a brand new job. Our job is to be like Jesus. And so we have to clothe ourselves and we have to put things on ourselves, even if it doesn't feel like it fits just yet. Even if it doesn't feel super comfortable to act in this way, we put it on and as we live into that, then we become more comfortable in it. It becomes part of our identity. Tom Wright writes this. He says, When a tide of passion or a surge of anger is felt, it must be dealt with as the alien intruder that it really is, and turned out of the house as having no right to be there at all, let alone to be giving orders. What he's talking about there is that anger and frustration, that doesn't have any place in the heart of a Christian. Now, it's still going to pop up from time to time. And one of the things we like to do is we like to externalize the blame for that. We like to say, well, I'm angry because of what she said, or I'm, I'm upset because of what he did. And we want to take that anger and we want to blame it on other people. I'm angry because of the situation that I'm in. But the reason that anger has popped up is because anger is in your spirit. Anger doesn't show up. It comes out. And so that's one of those things when, when impatience, when anger, when frustration pops up in our lives, that's when we have to say, wait a minute, this, this shouldn't be in there, right? This shouldn't be coming out of me right now. It doesn't matter what the circumstance I'm going through. This should not be the response that's coming out of my mouth. It's unnatural. It's not, it, it's not befitting. It doesn't fit anymore with who I'm called to be, who I want to be. And so we learn how to acknowledge those things, recognize them, and say, listen, this is not me anymore. Maybe it used to be me. Maybe I used to go around and I was impatient and I would blow up and I, I, I was unkind when I was frustrated. Maybe that's who I used to be, but that's the old me. I'm a new me now. I've put on the new jacket. I'm part of a new club, and I'm going to live like Christ. The next thing I want to point out is it says that we are to be renewed as we learn to know your creator and become like him. So it's a renewal. In our Wednesday night Bible study, we've been talking about how in the kingdom, when God returns and at the end of time, it's going to be a renewal of everything. He's going to renew heaven. He's going to renew the earth. He's going to renew the animal kingdom. He's going to renew us. Everything is going to be different. But we have a foretaste of that now. God allows us to be renewed in ourselves. But how does that happen? It becomes as we know God better and better, and we learn and train ourselves to act like Him. The shift here is a mental one. 
See, we intuitively know the old man. If, if, you, if you want to look at it and look at it, Paul described it as the, the first Adam and the second Adam. We know the first Adam. We know how humanity acts. Why? Because we're hardwired that way. It's just natural. We don't have to tell ourselves to breathe. We don't have to tell ourselves how to walk. You know, you learn those things, but it's just it's hardwired into us. Learning how to talk. Uh, those are just things that humans do. Grasp things with our hands. You know, unless something has gone drastically wrong in your body and there's some sort of disorder, those are things that come naturally to us. And it's the same way. There's, there's an old Adam, a sinful Adam, that is hardwired into us. Nobody has to teach us how to be selfish. Nobody has to teach us how to be unkind. No one has to teach us how to lash out at others. It just comes out of us. But we learn what the new Adam is supposed to look like, and we see it in Jesus. He's the exemplar. He's the, the, the pattern that we're supposed to, to uh, go after. He's, he's what we're trying to live into. And so it's a mental shift as we learn about the new man and then train ourselves to be like him. Many of us have uh, somebody we'd like to be like, a hero in some way. Maybe, maybe the person you want to look like has a certain physique, and you want to look, you want your, you want to to train and and shape your body to look like their body looks. Or maybe you look up to them because of their their success in 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 the business field, and you say, "No, I, I want to be like this person. I want to be entrepreneurial. I want to be able to 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 be financially successful and and recognized." Or we might look at somebody and say, oh, man, they are such a talented communicator. I want to learn how to talk like them. There's many different people, and, and we see people, and we want to be like them, so we begin to emulate them. Someone who's good at business doesn't just pop out of the womb good at business. They learned business skills. They learned how to apply them. Someone who is a, a gifted athlete, they didn't just pop out of the womb as, as, a, as an all-pro wide receiver. They went through years of training and coaching to get to that place. And it's the same way. We're not just going to pop out of the, the, the baptismal font as perfectly formed Christians. No. We have a new man in us. We have to learn how to develop it. And that's where this step of patience comes in. Verse 11 also says this. It says that in Christianity, it is a level playing field. And he talks about different categories where you can look at yourself. He says, um, what I'm trying to remember here off the top of my head. He says, uh, if you're, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric or uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters and he lives in us all. None of us is any better than anyone else. And so when we put in our head that we're all equal in the eyes of Christ, when we're all equal in the heart of our Father, it's easier to be patient because guess what? We're, we're patient with people that we love. If God loves everyone, then we're supposed to love everyone, and it's a whole lot easier to be patient with somebody if you love that person. There's nobody who is more deserving than another. And we want to justify ourselves and say, well, it's okay for me to be impatient. It's okay for me to be unkind because I'm dealing with these certain things. But here's the thing. Everyone you interact with in this world is dealing with something. Every single one of us is looking at our bank account saying, how am I going to pay the bills this week? Or how am I going to get this child in line? Or what am I going to do when they shut down my work? Any Ford workers in here? going on strike, trying to figure out how we're going to survive that. 
All of us are dealing with things. And when we understand that, we realize that the people we interact with in the world are not just uh, NPCs. Some of us are video gamers, and and I used to be, but I, I will tell you this. When you're playing a video game, there's... The character that you control is the main character, right? They call it the player character. It's the hero of the story. It's the protagonist. And everybody else in this imaginary world that you inter- interact with, they call them NPCs, non-player characters. You can be mean to them. You can be cruel to them. You can be rude to them, disrespectful. It doesn't matter because they're not real. But that's not what life is like. Everyone we interact with is a real person with hopes and dreams and hurts and fears They have things that they're hoping for. They have things they're afraid of. They have things they're struggling through. And so we have to acknowledge that. In the business world, there's been a big push in the last few years. Uh, They call it diversity. uh, um, What is it? Diversity, equity, and inclusion. And although I don't always agree with the ideas or the methodologies that they use to try to uh, achieve that, the ideas behind it is something that we as Christians should all be behind. The body of Christ is diverse. The body of Christ is equitable. The body of Christ is inclusive. And so when they get out there and they try to have seminars and teach us how to be diverse and equitable and inclusive, I say, hey, we are already there. Welcome aboard the Jesus train. We've been talking about this for thousands of years. We've been trying to tell you this is what the body of Christ looks like. And so that's what Paul is pointing out there. And the other thing, too, is that If other people can be patient, then that means you can too. There's no excuses. We all know people in our lives who have endured terrible things, situations that would knock anybody off their feet, and yet they held their head high. They withstood the circumstances with with honor. And because of that, if they are able to do it, we should be able to do it too. And then there's one last point I want to make uh, as an observation from the text, and that is that in verse 12, uh, Paul talks about how we clothe ourselves in these things, tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Each of these items is either an action or it's a reaction to something that happens to us. And all of these actions are rooted in forgiveness. The reason that we can be merciful to others is because Jesus was merciful to us. They forgave our sins. The reason that we can be, um, what was the other one, kind, is because God has been kind to us. The reason we can be gentle is God has gently corrected us. And we can be patient with others because He was patient with us. Some of us got saved when we were very young. And so maybe we didn't, we didn't act all that bad as, as we were young, but we still have made many mistakes along the way. Others of us got saved much later in life, and so we can look back and we can see a whole litany of things that we wish we'd done differently. But God was patient, through us, uh, with, uh, patient with us through them all because He knew that there was a process. He needed to get us to a place where we realized we needed Him and that the old way of doing things, the old man, it wasn't working out for us and it wasn't going to get us where we needed to be. So we had to learn to be patient. Okay, so that, that sums up our observations about the text, but I want to zoom in on this one idea of patience because it's something that we all deal with i i don't know in me in my talking this morning i hope no one has felt like i'm pointing my finger at anybody because i'm just as bad as the next in fact 
the other day I had to exercise a little patience. I, I went up to the grocery store, and uh, how many of you have ever been in line? And there's, you know, well, this doesn't happen often anymore, but there were multiple cashier lines open. And so people were lining up at the different ones. And I'm standing in line, and the, 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 the cashier that I chose or the person that was in front of me was moving much slower than everybody else. And so I was tempted to jump out of my line and to jump into the other one because it was moving a little faster. And I, I stopped myself and I said, no, I'm not going to do that. Number one, because I've done that so many times in the past and you jump over in the other line and then yours starts moving again. And so then you jump back over here and then that one starts moving again. So you jump over to the next one and, and we're just shooting ourselves in the foot. We do the same thing when we're driving in traffic. We'll say, well, this lane's moving slow. I'm going to jump in the other one. And then guess which one stops next? So, you know, really we're, we're striving and we're trying to, to uh, be impatient because we want to get somewhere or we want to achieve something faster, but it doesn't always work out for us. And so one of the things I did was instead of jumping lines, I said, you know what? I'm just going to stay where I'm at. What does it matter if I get through the line 30 seconds sooner? You know, that means I get to go home and, and uh, unload the groceries just a little bit faster. I'm still going to end up in the same place, you know, and, 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 and instead of being frustrated that my line wasn't moving fast enough, I just settled in and I was like, okay, it's all right. I had my AirPods in. I was listening to a podcast anyway. So I was like, all right, I just get to listen a little bit longer. And just by taking that idea and just saying, I'm not going to let myself get frustrated about something that's outside of my control and something that doesn't really matter in the end anyway. Uh, it was a much more peaceful experience than it usually is for me at the grocery store. All right, so when we're talking about patience, who deserves patience? Who should we treat with patience? Well, there's four groups that I'm going to say deserves patience. Number one is yourself. Be patient with yourself. Some of us are very hard on ourselves. We beat ourselves up when we say, I'm not, I'm not where I want it to be at this point in my life, or these certain things or circumstances that I'm dealing with, I'm dealing with this because of choices I made. And so we begin to beat ourselves up and we say, you know, I shouldn't be like this. But here's the thing. We're all in process. We have to be gracious with ourselves. And it's hard to be gracious to other people if you aren't gracious with yourself. So we have to learn how to treat ourselves with patience. The second group you got to treat with patience is, is God. You just have to treat God with patience. What do you mean by that? Well, how many of us get frustrated with God because we prayed for something and it's not fixed already? God, I already prayed for you to heal my, my loved one. Why hasn't it happened? God, I've already prayed for financial uh, assistance because I'm, I'm struggling right now. Why hasn't it happened? And we get upset with God. Second Peter talks about how God doesn't, he's not moving slow just to, to bother us. He has a plan. He has a purpose. He's working things out. And so sometimes we have to learn how to be patient and wait on God. God shows up on time. That's what we say. He's an on-time God. Oh, yes, he is. And so we have to learn how to be patient and wait for him to work things out in his good timing. You can read in Scripture so many people who are frustrated with God. God, why are these wicked people tearing apart my community? God, why are you allowing these evil heathens to, to, to persecute your people? God, why aren't, haven't you come through for me yet? 
So that's a very normal experience. But we have to realize that God moves and he has a higher purpose. He has a higher plan. He sees things that we don't see. He knows what we need. He knows what we need better than we know what we need. And so we have to learn how to be patient with him and let him work out his plan. We have to be patient with our friends and our loved ones. And, uh, you know, anybody who has lived in a family home, you know, the people you live with can drive you absolutely batty. And it's easier to love them when they're a family member. You can say, listen, I know my kid's driving me nuts, but that's my kid. So I'll put up with it. I'll learn to be patient with him. But here's the thing. When you live in close proximity with somebody, when they're in your life constantly, those are the people who can just drive you insane. Because here's the thing. We don't just get our loved ones on their good days. We see them on their bad days. We see them on their fair to midland days. We see them on the days where they're really struggling. And sometimes they're dealing with things and they lash out. And so then maybe we're experiencing some negativity and it has nothing to do with anything you said or done, but you're having to get their frustration. You're bearing the brunt of it. But here's the thing. That love that is the root of our relationship allows us to be patient. That love for them, that care for them allows us to overlook things when they say things that are hurtful, when they do things that are hurtful to us. We learn to overlook it because of our love for them. But here's the hardest one. The last group that we have to be patient with is all of those people who fall outside of that category of friends or loved ones. we got to learn how to be patient with strangers. And I've talked a little bit about it. We don't know what they're going through. But they are just as important to God. And when we go through life, humans are receptive creatures. When, when we're around somebody who's happy, we start to pick up on that. When we're around somebody who's sad, we pick up on that. We mirror each other. You know, my mother famously will adopt whatever dialect of wherever she lives. You know, you go down to Texas, she'll pick up a Texan drawl. You go up to Michigan, she'll sound like a Michigander or a Michigoose. I don't know, whatever it is. But she picks it up. We mirror people. It's just part of who we are. You'll notice it if you're in a conversation and somebody's standing there and one person's got their arms crossed before the long, the other one will do the same thing. They don't even realize it. One person's sitting there and they're vibrating their leg because they're tense and they're anxious. And guess what? You start feeling that too. And so we mirror each other. And so that's why we have to learn how to be patient and kind with one another and, and put that out into the world. So that is who deserves patience. But the next question is, what is patience? Well, here's the definition. Patience is a personal quality or a virtue characterized by the ability to remain calm, composed, and tolerant in the face of delays, difficulties, or annoyances. And when I said annoyances, I don't want to hear whose face popped up in your head. But patience involves the capacity to endure and persevere without becoming frustrated or upset when dealing with challenging situations or other people's shortcomings. Patience sounds like not a whole lot of fun. I mean, honestly, when someone's bugging you, you don't want to be patient with them. You want to poke them in the nose. You want to knock them on their butt. You say, you're not going to talk to me like that. But we have to learn how to be patient. Here's some of the key aspects of remaining patient. Number one, you've got to remain calm. 
And for some of us, that's the first hurdle that we have to overcome because as soon as something goes uh, a little bit wrong, we start going into panic mode, right? Anybody, do I have any panickers in here? Let's just be honest, right? Okay. And then, then there's the people around you who aren't panicking and you get frustrated with them because you're like, why aren't you panicking like I am? Some of us, I mean, that is the first thing that keeps us from being patient because we just don't have calm in our life. We have to learn how to remain calm. Uh, the next uh, characteristic is that we have to be tolerant. That means you have to put up with some things not being just the way you want it all the time. How many fights have happened because someone didn't load the dishwasher right? Right? As if there could be a right way. As long as the dirty dishes come in and the clean, clean dishes come out, who cares how they're stacked in there, right? <laughs> I knew the men would get behind me on that one. But here's the thing. We have to learn to be tolerant. People aren't going to do things the same way. I saw uh, this, uh, a video earlier this week. This woman was talking about how she appreciated her husband. And she was being a little sarcastic. She said, I appreciate all the help he does around the house because we get a little more, uh, we, we get a little more diversity in the way things are done. And she opened her linen closet, and there was like two halves to it. There was the one half that was folded all beautifully with the stripes on the outside. Everything was even. And then there was this, uh, the right-hand side, which you could tell that her husband had done. And each of those towels was just rolled up like a burrito and shoved in there. We have to learn how to be tolerant because we're different. And here's the thing. We wouldn't want everybody to be the same. If everybody was the same, life would be pretty boring. There's variety. There's diversity in life. The next thing is we have to endure. When you're struggling with patience, sometimes you just got to put up with stuff for a little while. You know, recently Paul was getting close to his retirement date, and he was counting them down. He's like, I just got a few more days. I got a few more days. And things didn't turn out the way he planned it. You know, he stayed a little longer than he thought, and then, you know, things didn't turn out the way he had it planned exactly. But he endured because he's like, I'm just going to put up with this situation for a little bit longer. I've made it this long. I can survive a couple more. And so we have to learn how to endure. The next is we have to learn how to delay gratification. We get upset when we show up in the drive-thru and they don't have that burger ready in under 30 seconds. We want it fast. We want it now, right? Uh, you don't ask uh, for, for things to be done on your timetable all the time because it's not going to happen. Um, and, and so we have to learn how to, do, how to delay gratification if we're going to be patient. And the last thing is to have empathy. We have to understand that the whole world doesn't revolve around us. And God's not just moving on our behalf. He's moving for other people too. And the things that go on in this world don't just affect us. All right. And so when we do that, it helps us to develop this patience. Where and when should we be patient? Well, there are no geographical limitations. You don't have to just be patient at work or just be patient at home. I've known some people that were like that. They go to work, and they put on the smiling face, and they're all nice to everybody at work, but then they come home, and you get the snarling dog, right? That's not right. We have to be patient at work, at home, behind the steering wheel, at the grocery store. Everywhere we go, we should be patient. Now, there are a few circumstances where you shouldn't be patient. We learned Wednesday night that we have not one gunshot victim, but two gunshot survivors in this church. And if you've been shot and you go to the emergency room, 
guess what? You can tell the guy who stubbed his pinky toe, he can wait a minute, right? So you don't have to be patient all the time. There are certain circumstances, but the general rule is that we shouldn't be going around acting like everything's an emergency. One of the things that is so frustrating is when people come to you and they, because of things that they've done or things that they've put off, it's now an emergency. And you're thinking, well, this isn't my emergency. This isn't my fault. You should have planned ahead. You should have thought ahead. You shouldn't have been here. And we get impatient with that because it's like just because you failed to enroll your child till August 3rd doesn't mean that I have to be running around like my head's on fire. It's your fault for waiting too late. And so, you know, there, there isn't a limit there. Patience is a learned skill. But that doesn't mean we can just put it off until we feel like it. It's like, well, I know it's a process and I've got to learn to be patient, but I'll do it eventually. I just don't feel like being patient right now. There's no limit to when we're supposed to be patient. It should just be part of who we are. It becomes a part of our character. The last thing is, why should we be patient? Well, because the Lord has been very patient with us. All right, that's, that's the thing I love about the church is that we don't go around acting like we're perfect, like we've never done anything wrong. We know we're knuckleheads. We know that we do things that we're not supposed to do. God has been patient with us, so we're going to be patient with others. Being patient is part of removing sin from our lives because, as I mentioned at the beginning, there's a, there is a sin that is at the root of our impatience, and that is selfishness. That is something that, need, that we need to get rid of. We need to exercise it like it's a demon, get it out of our lives because it's not going to help us out, and it doesn't echo the character of Christ that we're called to emulate. Why should you be patient? Because it will lead to a more peaceful life. Proverbs 15, 18 says this. It says, A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. Life is hard enough. We don't need to go around making it harder on ourselves. Let's be patient and show that to others. Aristotle said this. He said, Patience is bitter, but its fruit is sweet. It is. It's hard to be patient. When you have to wait and endure and to put things off all because of somebody else's mistakes or because of somebody else's attitude, that's hard. But if we will learn to cultivate that patience, the result, the harvest that we receive will be sweet. If the musicians will come up, we're getting here towards the end. So we've talked about who we should be patient to, what is patience, when and where should we be patient and why we should be patient, but now we get to the how. What are some things that we can do to uh, cultivate patience in our lives? Here's the thing. Patience is not passive. Remember that? It's powerful. So patience doesn't come just because we sit back and let things happen. Patience doesn't mean you turn into a doormat. Patience doesn't mean you just put up with anything. Patience is a choice on our behalf. You choose to respond rather than react. That puts you in control. You're the one who picked the response that was going to happen. One unknown author wrote this, Patience is when you're supposed to be mad, but you choose to understand. We can choose to be upset. We can choose to be impatient and frustrated and angry. Or we can choose to say, this is a process. we got to get there in one way or another. And some of you might say, listen, I don't like this whole patient idea. I'm not passive. I'm alpha. 
right? I'm in control. I'm in charge. People don't tell me what to do. I tell them what to do. Well, let me tell you this. Even Chuck Norris knows how to be patient, right? Because he doesn't sleep. He waits. And so that's what we have to do sometimes. We have to learn how to be patient. There's three steps learning how to be patient. Number one, whenever impatience pops up, when you feel it bubbling up in your spirit, the first thing you got to do is you observe that impatience without judgment. Don't get mad. Don't get upset. Don't beat yourself up over it. It's natural. It happens. But you just notice the physical sensations that you're feeling in your body when you're upset. Notice the thoughts or the emotions that are associated with impatience. Where is this coming from? And don't judge yourself from it. Just kind of disconnect yourself from it and say, oh, that's odd. And maybe you'll start to notice some patterns. Maybe we notice, well, I'm, I'm a lot more impatient when I'm hungry. Right? We have a word for that. Hangry. None of us like being hangry. Uh, but, but we can notice those things. Or maybe there's certain triggers that cause us to be impatient. Maybe when we're running behind because we haven't planned ahead well enough, that causes us to be impatient. Maybe when we're running behind because somebody else didn't plan ahead, that causes us to be impatient. We can notice the things that cause us to be impatient. And you say, this doesn't sound like a very spiritual thing, but here's the thing. It's a process. It's part of training ourselves to be more patient is we have to learn what are those things that causes that impatience to bubble up inside of me and just drives me insane. Notice that without judgment. The second step is that you practice loving kindness. That's empathy. That's treating other people the way you want to be treated. We can look at that cashier that's driving us nuts or that coworker that is, is just always dragging their feet and always causing the whole team to get behind, and we can be upset with them. But let's imagine, how would we want them to be treated if that was one of our loved ones? You know, think about it. A lot of times you go to a fast food restaurant or, or Walmart or somewhere like that. The people that are running the register, a lot of times it's young people. It's some of their first jobs. Imagine that's your son or daughter. Who's struggling? Who doesn't have it all together just yet? They're still learning. Would you want people to be patient with them? Would you want people to be understanding and kind to them? Do you want people to be patient with you? That's part of practicing empathy. Put yourself in the other person's position. Think about what they might be going through. Pray for yourself and for them. That one's a tough one to do, especially when someone's right in front of you and they're just driving you nuts. Pray for them. And not, Lord, don't let me throttle them. Like, that's not the prayer. The prayer is, God, help me to be patient. Help me to be understanding. And help them to see what their actions and words are causing in other people. It's empathy. We cultivate compassion and understanding by doing that. And then the last thing is you get to choose your reaction. You get to practice being patient in your everyday life. When you're faced with situations that test your patience, you say, I'm not going to let myself get frustrated with this. I'm just going to sit in it. It'll work out. It's going to be okay. You take a deep breath, and then you consciously choose, I'm going to respond, not react. Those are the three steps to, to making sure that we have patience in our lives. So here's the thing. As we come to the end, and I'd like the prayer team to come forward, I want to open up the altar because patience is something that a lot of people uh, deal with. It's something that's hard to cultivate in our lives. And so as they come to the front, there are three categories of people that if you would like to come up for prayer, we want to pray for those specific things. Number one, if you have never made a commitment to live for Christ, 
and you look at this description of what the old man and the new man looks like and you say, yeah, this old man thing isn't working out for me. It's not turning out the way I want it to and I'm tired of fighting against it. And if that's you today, you can come today and you can surrender it all to Christ. You can say, God, I need you to forgive me for my impatience, my unkindness, my anger. All those things that were the old man, the sinful man, I want them out of my life. So if that's you today, you can come forward and pray with one of these members of the prayer team. The second is for those in this house who are struggling with impatience right now. Maybe you've got a situation in your family that you're dealing with and you're just, you're done with it. I'm feeling impatient. God, why haven't you come through? Or maybe it's a, it's a broken relationship that isn't where it needs to be because someone's not acting the way they should. And we're feeling very impatient with them. We feel our patience stretching thin. If you have a circumstance in your life that is causing impatience and frustration to come up, you can come up and we will pray with you today. And then the last thing, if there is a situation that you know is, is causing your impatience, we believe, Jesus says, that we can pray and, a, and an entire mountain will be picked up and cast into a sea. So there's no problem that you're dealing with right now that is too big for God to handle. So if you've got a situation going on in your life, maybe it is a medical diagnosis, maybe it is a career issue, maybe it is a family issue, uh, whatever that frustration is, we're going to come and we're going to lay it at Jesus' feet and we're going to trust Him to take care of that. So as the praise team sings right now, what we're going to do is we're going to open up this altar and if you are experiencing any impatience or frustration, the altar is open. Please come forward.